You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Don't call it a comeback. Celtic Stuff Live. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on CLNS Radio, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for Boston sports. And we are continuing our off-season interview series that really has been ahead. And I just want to say thank you to everybody that has been supporting this series by downloading. We are absolutely shattering Celtic Stuff Live records for downloads during this series that kicked off with Sean Grandy, went right to Danny LaRue, then Jeff Clark, and then, of course, Monday's show this week, Nick Gelso. I've gotten so many requests to add more guests to this series that we've had to kick it up to twice a week. And sometimes you worry that you're not going to get the downloads, that there's just too much content. And I am a little long-winded, so some of these interviews have been going 90 minutes. But I'm just amazed because the downloads keep coming. So just thank you to everybody who's been supporting this. We've got a special guest again today and really a focus on the entrepreneurial nature that most of these web-based media personalities, especially Danny, Jeff, Nick Gelso, and then today's guest Brian Robb from Celtics Hub have had. Obviously, Sean Grandy to kick it off a little more of a traditional uh, path, and we are going to speak with more guests that have been I guess, taking a mainstream media route, but even people like Mark Spears were reaching out to a good friend of the show, uh, former college basketball player. So get a lot of different insights, people with different backgrounds, and Brian Robb is going to be a great interview today. We're going to get right to it, but first, just a reminder to follow Celtic Stuff Live on Twitter, at CSL underscore Tweet Live, as well as myself, at CSL underscore Justin, and and my usual co- co-host, John Duke, at CSL underscore Duke. John started a new job over the uh, break here in the summer in August and even tweeted out that he absolutely loved the most recent interview with Nick Gelso. But he will be back by the preseason. We do have our next interview lined up to release on Monday, Monday, and that will be with Jared Weiss. And we're hoping John will be able to join us for that one. Don't forget to follow the entire CLNS Radio Network at CLNS Radio. As I've mentioned every time uh, we broadcast this show, uh, Bobby Manning, a big inspiration for this off-season interview series and sort of this perspective on how people got their start. Bobby has now made the big move. He's headed down to Syracuse. You can listen to his podcast Uh, the Bobcast right here on CLNS Radio. He's taking a week off, and then he's going to come back after he gets settled into Syracuse University. But his most recent show, the last one, while he was uh, still residing in Peabody, Mass., uh, just broadcast the other day, uh, released on Friday. Definitely a must-listen. And Bobby is going to help us close out this off-season interview series in good fashion once he gets his feet under him. Uh, Chris Forsberg and Chad Finn will also be joining us in late September, and we're going to be lining up more and more guests, so definitely stay tuned. Go to the CLNS Radio Facebook page, facebook.com backslash CLNS fans. Don't forget to download the app for iOS and Android where you can listen to all the great shows here on CLNS Radio. Just simply search CLNS Radio Radio 
in your app marketplace. And then the YouTube channel, and this will be a teaser for the next interview coming up for release on Monday. But our our YouTube channel is High Definition and full-length locker room interviews with the Garden Report. And that was started by Jared Weiss. And as we discussed on the last show with Nick Gelso, Jared was only 20 years old when he was sent to the Garden with press credential to access and then began to pioneer for online media outlets video coverage. So we're going to get all into all of that with Jared. But first today, we're going to hear from Brian Robb from Celtics Hub, and we're going to get right into that now. Brian Robb, welcome to Celtics Stuff Live. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Justin. You know, we've been really talking with a lot of the pioneers in online media, and I know you've listened to a few of the shows already but it's gotten to a point where we've had a lot of listeners that have recommended a number of different guests. We've kicked it up to twice a week. I kind of appreciate you making time in, in your schedule. But Celtics Hub has been uh, a very, very awesome online outlet, and your presence at Summer League has always been killer as well. And really, we'd be remiss if we didn't bring you in and include you in this series because you're somebody who has established sort of a full-time uh, gig in the sports coverage, sports industry, and you have some traditional outlet experience, plus you have online media experience. So I just think you you, you waffle sort of, uh, or not waffle, but you bridge two different uh, types of medium that maybe we take somebody like Sean Grandy, who's taken a very traditional path, and then we had somebody like Jeff Clark or Danny LaRue that, took a more new media, non-traditional path, and, and you've kind of done both. So I think your perspective in this off-season interview series uh, will bring a lot of value to the listeners today. Yeah, I know. It's, um, it's obviously, I think it's really cool what you're doing here, Justin, just talking to these guys and just getting the different, you know, obviously vantage points of ways to, you know, everyone's career paths and ways they've broken and things like that. But, yeah, I'm definitely, I'm someone who has gotten lucky in the sense that I kind of got started on, on in the online media scene, um, in the blogging scene, to begin uh, my career back when I was in college, and then from there have been able to um, get access to some positions based off of that experience. So, um, And now I still kind of am in both, like you mentioned. So it's, um, it's definitely been an enjoyable experience, an enjoyable ride so far. And, um, yeah, it's definitely you know, a sign for, you know, I'm sure you've, your uh, listeners know that, you know, it's like you just put in, when you get the, you get to give them some lucky breaks, but it is a sign that, you know, if you get seen in the online media world that, you know, more traditional outlets opportunities can come along there too. Well, what it shows is, you know, your willingness to put in the work. It's almost like, and it's growing because, I think it's well. I don't. Want, I don't want to say it's growing, but I think it's changing. But you mentioned that you started Celtics Hub and and kind of getting that online presence while you were still in college. But it's a great opportunity to build a resume, show that you're willing to put in the extra work and the hours and the thoughtfulness and and your ability to craft a story and generate content and build a following, those those are great ways to, you know, the online ability to do that at a very low cost is a great way to build a resume. Maybe talk a little bit, so, you know, where did you go to college, and then uh, talk about how you began Celtics Hub, and maybe even write down to how you chose the name. Yeah, no, it's, um, so, Celtics Hub, I went to, um, I went to Boston College uh, locally here, Boston, that you grew up in the Boston area. And um, it was my senior year at Boston College, and uh, I had uh, just a mutual um, friend that was in the media industry, and he had someone he knew that um, he knew I was very much into sports, and I had interned in places in the area like Comcast and other news stations um, during my college career. And then he had heard that ESPN was trying to start up this uh, true group network, and they were looking to, um, you know, find obviously 30 different blogs. And sometimes they, you know, brought in blogs that had already been started, but for the Celtics, they wanted to start coming from scratch. So I was lucky enough to um, get connected to um, Kevin Arnovitz, uh, who was 
you know, who's now an editor at ESPN.com um, on the NBA side and a great writer as well. And just said, you know, obviously I'm interested. And he told me, you know, he kind of explained what they were trying to do. And I sent in some um, uh, samples, you know, some some clips essentially since, you know, I hadn't done a, a ton of writing at that point. But I was, you know, I'd followed the the NBA and the Celtics pretty closely. So, you know, I watched a, a game. I sent a few short articles. I actually think I wrote on Brian Scalabrini for one of those articles, um, which is it's funny to re- look back on in hindsight. And, yeah, and so he was like, hey, we you know, we want you involved. And, and it ended up being um, myself, uh, another college student, Brian Roy, um, from around Arizona. And then uh, the third person was Zach Lowe. And they kind of put just the three of us together and said, okay, guys, you know, you guys are going to be the three guys here and you can kind of do everything, including pick the name. And it was something that we brainstormed for a few weeks and thought we had something decided. And then one day I was, you know, I thought Hub and Hub in Boston, I feel like it's kind of, you know, it's not, not a film nickname for it, but, you know, it's something that makes sense in terms of, uh, domain name that was still out there. So I was like, hey guys, what do you think of Celtics Hub? And they both liked it. And then we kicked things off, uh, I believe it was uh, January or February of 2009, which seems like forever ago now. But, um, and just things have <laughs> Well, it kind of is. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. really kind of is. You know, it's been seven years. And I know we talked before we started the interview, but obviously I, I disappeared for about four years and I was kind of looking at the timeline of things for you. And I knew you started in that 08, 09 season. And I was thinking, you know, that's really only two or three years, maybe four, maybe four years, depending on the exact timing of it, uh, after Celtic Stuff Live was started. But that was really the beginning of the boom. Within two to three years after that, I think online media had really established itself. And you mentioned True Hoop. I haven't talked with Henry, Henry Abbott in a while, but didn't he also help start True Hoop? I can't yeah. remember, but yep, I thought it was so. Henry, yep, it was Henry and Kevin Arnovitz. Those are the two guys that were the point men for it all. And obviously, you know, a lot of a lot of the great young writers you see out there today were found by those two guys. Um, and they definitely have created a, a lot of breaks for a lot of people in the industry. So um, they've, you know, they've been terrific. They're terrific. Writers are terrific people and obviously had a great brainchild there with trying to, you know, create a network like that uh, that early in the game. Maybe we should talk a little bit about establishing a network because it's sort of the natural flow from this discussion right now. I do want to get a little bit more into, you know, Zach Lowe, who's obviously a writer for ESPN now and and how that site evolved. But before we do that, you mentioned somebody like, you know, Henry Abbott, who I remember very well because I actually had a show that I did with Ryan McNeil, who has a website called Hoops Addict and has been credentialed to cover the Raptors for quite some time. And we, st- before Celtic Stuff Live, we had a show called Killer Crossover for about nine months. And Henry Abbott had frequented, uh, frequently been a guest on our show and then came on Celtic Stuff Live later. But maybe talk about sort of the importance of networking. And I know you mentioned a couple of names already, but who else have you sort of worked with in terms of building a network? And, and how do you maintain the network as well? Because as your network grows, a lot of people like I'm in sales now. And so it's part of what I do for a living. But I think there's a lot of people who are really great at providing content, but maybe they're not really great at developing and maintaining the network that sort of supports their brand and helps market the work that they are doing. Yeah. So I definitely was um, fortunate in that sense because I had uh, just someone, you know, a family friend when I was in college just who had the, uh, didn't know Henry or didn't know Kevin, but had knew someone who knew someone. And that's really seems to be like, if you're someone young trying to get into um, the industry, I would, you know, try to talk to people in your life that maybe have some kind of connect to the media industry or online or whatever there, because, you know, that's where, you know, the initial first step um, is needed there. Cause you have to have, you know, when someone knows you and someone can kind of vouch for you being like, Hey, this guy works really hard. He, you know, knows the stuff, et cetera. That makes it 
you know, easier. Um, and then as far as, you know, when you do get that break and you might, you know, you get a chance somewhere, um, I was looking to sense that, you know, on the True Hoop Network, it was, you know, ESPN was about promoting us early, obviously, giving us opportunities to, um, you know, participate in, you know, chat rooms on the site, you know, do five-on-fives on the site, kind of feature us that way. But as far as networking goes, it was it's a matter of kind of, you know, getting out there. And, you know, I think a big part of it was when Celtics Up got credentialed um, to cover Celtics games, uh, which I think was towards the end of the 2009-2010 season. Um, definitely just you got to go out and you got to try to meet people when you have the chance and introduce yourself. And if you can't do it in person, you know, shoot people, you know, emails and don't and kind of do stuff, say, you know, ask questions, um, you know, ask for suggestions and people like that more times than not are um, people in this industry, especially locally here. I feel like you're super nice people, super willing to help you out, lend a hand. And so don't be afraid to ask questions and, you know, try to network that way since that can, you know, that might not lead to the initial opportunity, but sometimes that can lead to something down the line. It's interesting because I always felt like the value of the credentials was the networking for me because the content that was provided on our show was often provided by the guests that were very welcoming to Celtics Stuff Live and Celtics Blog when we got credentialed. You know, I got a chance to meet Mike Gorman, who had already been on the show, Scott Souza, who had already been on the show, Sean Grandy, but then it also allowed us to develop relationships with Steve Bullpad and, and other people that, that covered the Celtics for a long period of time and provided great interviews and content for the listeners of the show. And while I did find it beneficial to be able to interview the players and get some audio bites to be able to put onto the show, I always felt like the credential part of it, at least for the product that we were delivering, a lot of it was being able to network with all of those individuals and also to your point about getting credentialed the Celtics organization is maintaining that relationship because you certainly don't want to lose the credential once you have it and maybe talk a little bit about getting and obtaining that credential you, you know sort of the relationship with the with the the media um people at with the Celtics like Jeff Twist and Brian Olive and Heather Walker and just how they received the online community because I thought really as far as organizations go they were very much ahead of that curve and very willing to work with online media as long as you know you weren't sort of um uh, you had to be fairly credible you had to be you had to take a professional approach with the content that you were putting out on the web Yeah absolutely the I mean, the Celtics PR staff are, is, is top-notch in my mind. And as you mentioned, they were kind of um, ahead of the curve, I feel like, in just recognizing, you know, the credibility of, you know, online outlets um, that were providing, you know, you know, that had – or just podcasts, et cetera, like your, you guys had going um, during those early years as well. And I was fortunate enough since I was um, – I started working at 95 Sports Hub back in later 2009. So I was actually, um, I covered a couple games early on for, for the, just the sports hub. And at that point, um, I wasn't a primary Celtics reporter at that point for them, but I was kind of filling in. Um, and then I was able to introduce myself to Brian Olive and, you know, be like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm here for the sports hub now, but I'm also, you know, writing for Celtics hub, um, or one of the writers there. Um, Coners. And so that allowed him, I think, to kind of put a face of a name at that point, which definitely helped. And at that point, you know, after being at a game a couple of times, seeing, again, that was, you know, a credible reporter that, you know, professional, as you mentioned, um, then that, I think, gave, was the, the pathway for them to be, give the okay uh, to give Celtic Club uh, credentials at that point. So, um Again, as you had mentioned, you know, the meeting people is, is huge, and that's kind of where I think uh, we got our break in that instance since, you know, obviously there's a ton of blocks out there, but it's, um, you know, when you can put a face to a name, um, I think that helps for the, the trust factor when you're dealing with credentials like the, the Celtics are at that point. 
It's interesting because you can come together as a community and network very easily through email and through websites and message boards. And we've had a lot of themed conversation around developing a community. We didn't really tie it to a network, but you still can't underrate the importance of face-to-face, especially in in business. Uh, And that's really what this is, especially as you sort of grow. Um, After we Talk, take a quick break and, and talk about Fan Essentials, one of our sponsors. I want to get into 98.5, the sports hub and that experience and, and diversification because we haven't really dove as deep into having a diverse sort of background and contributions and how that can help you grow your network. And I want to talk to you about that a little bit as well. But real quick, uh, how would you like to get all of your favorite NBA teams merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out fanessentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team. And I imagine if you're listening to Celtics stuff live, your favorite sports team is probably the Boston Celtics. But you can choose any team, and every month you get your team gear shipped right to your door. They find Find that sports gear so that you don't have to. And each one of these fan box comes fully packed with some really amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan, and prices start at just $34.99. Also, by supporting Celtic Stuff Live, we'll give back to you, and you can save 30% on the first month of your subscription by using the promo code CSL2016 at the checkout. You just go to fanessentials.net to get all the essentials you need, and Celtic Stuff Live is giving away one free month of Fan Essentials each week to one of our listeners. Now that we're doing two two shows a week, we're going to be announcing the winner on Monday's show, so stay tuned to that. Monday's show with Jared Weiss will be announcing uh, the winner for next week. But all you have to do to enter is retweet one of our show announcements with the hashtag Fan Essentials, and make sure you're following us at CSL underscore Tweet Live so that we can send you a direct message with all of the instructions to claim your prize and your free month of FanEssentials.com. Back to Brian Robb of Celtics Hub and 98.5 The Sports Hub. Brian, let's talk a little bit about diversification. And really, that's something that I think in the past, a lot of writers and you know somebody like a Steve Wolpat, listen, I'm with the Herald, and that's where the content goes. Maybe every once in a while there's an article to a national publication or whatnot, but part of the impact of new media and the ability to contribute to online media, you look at somebody like even Kevin O'Connor, who's now with The Ringer, who got a start with Celtics Blog, but contributed to Comcast Sportsnet. You've contributed to the Sporting News, ESPN, Celtics Hub, 985 The Sports Hub, Bleacher Report. I think it's really important to emphasize that getting different audiences in different settings is really important to grow your career, and I think you'll be able to maybe illuminate that, I mean, or expand on that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the nature of the industry right now, Justin, in terms of a lot of places, um, there aren't a ton of um, full-time writing opportunities out there. Um, obviously, you have your, your Boston Herald, you have your, your Globe, um, you have places like you know CSN and stuff, but a lot of online places are looking for people who can produce high quality content but um not on not necessarily on an exclusive basis just by per piece. And so um that is a route that you know you see more and more people are taking, like you said, to kinda as opportunities come up to kind of diversify the audience and obviously, you know, connect you a couple of different outlets um and to showcase uh your material and just provide um interesting stuff. So for myself, I actually, you know, um, after starting South, you know, working at Celtics 7, working at the Sports Hub for a while, um, my first big break on the writing front um, came courtesy of um, Paul Flannery of SB Nation, um, who I just was, um, who's obviously another great guy. And he um, kind of, they were looking for someone to do, you know, kind of recaps in Boston for NBA.com back when they had um, just, you know, kind of quick hitting previews and recaps on that site, which they kind of phased out a few years ago. But um, he kind of, uh, you know, put in a word for me there. So one day I got an email from one of their editors saying if I was interested in it. And, um, yeah, and again, that was a place where, you know, 
you get that on your resume and then um, once that comes up, then other places start looking at you closer. And so that's when, you know, when Turner Blot Bleach Report, some opportunities happen there. I start contributing for, you know, 98.5 Sports Hub online when they, um, the Celtics got their, when the radio rights went to 98.5 Sports Hub for the Celtics. And so again, a lot of these opportunities kind of came along due to the other opportunities. Um, and, it's just the, the nature of the industry now is where you kind of have to, you know, one thing leads to another and you have to have a few different, um, you know, things going on generally, but it's, it's more becoming the norm um, more often than not. And it's a, as you mentioned, it's a great way to you know, make connections and be able to write about different things at different spots and, you know, kind of expand what you're trying to do from there. Well, it's funny because like in the business world or any time you talk with a financial advisor and they tell you about how to sort of spread out your investments, they're always talking about diversification. But I think it used to be a very negative thing to have a vast number of different experiences in terms of employment. Uh, that has changed not only in media, but I think just in the working world as well. I think a lot of times people would look at your resume and say, oh, you, you only spent two years there. Well, uh, that's really kind of a negative. We're going to hire you. You're not going to know how to do your job for six to 12 months, and then you're going to leave us 12 months later. That's a big risk for the organization. I think now people are looking at those experiences, and it's more about explaining to your prospective employer that you had a plan, you had a goal that you contributed over that 24-month period and that you were working with that employer to grow in your career, but for you to take the next step, you had to move on and sort of explaining that. And now it's not seen as such a negative. A lot of people even have two or three different careers, and I almost want to call them verticals because they may, you might have a sports career for 10 years, and then you, that turns into a sales career, and then you say, you know what, I want to I wanna do something completely different, and now you're in healthcare or technology. You see a lot of people doing multiple different careers and having multiple, or I should say, diverse opportunities. And so it's interesting to see it play out in media, but I think it's, it makes a, a contributor more valuable the broader their basis. Not to mention, in media, a lot of it is, is name recognition. So I don't want to just say diversification in terms of what outlets you're contributing to, but also the type of media content. And that goes back to here at 98.5, the sports hub. You know, this is obviously radio, whereas Celtics hub is written. And I think one of the things that you said early on, and I want you to kind of correct me if I'm wrong here, but it seemed like your earlier experiences were a lot more focused on audio and radio. And then all of a sudden you were given an opportunity to do writing, but you hadn't really done a lot of that. If that's true, can you talk about how you sort of perfected your writing skills? Because one of the themes with, that we talked about with Danny LaRue was how to structure an argument. And so I think a lot of people would be interested in hearing from you about how you perfected your writing skills and, and tried to grow in that area as well. <laughs> well, there's still a lot of perfecting that needs to be done with my writing skills first. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, it is, I mean, for any writer, it is, uh, you know, an evolution, obviously, as you go through your career and you gain more experience um, in your work with different editors, um, which have definitely um, helped a ton. And even working with someone like Zach Lothbier, getting just to, um, you know, throw throw ideas off of each other, you know, read each other's work, give suggestions. Um, obviously, uh, he, you know, Zach's credentials speak for itself, but he, you know, he went to he, from the very beginning, his writing was top-notch, even back in the Southern Sunday, because he had gone to, you know, grad school for journalism, and he's just, you know, a, a great writer. Anyway, so, um, yeah, for someone like myself, it's it's a lot of, again, you have to, it's reading a ton of great people around the web, trying to learn from what they do, from how they present arguments, and then I, you know, at Southern Sunday initially, and what we still kind of do is we try to you know, present, you know, kind of dig deep into arguments and kind of do it a lot times based around the numbers. And so that's, you know, that's not nothing crazy now, but back, you know, in 2009, 2010, I feel like the the internet was just starting to kind of, um, you know, dive into that 
realm, if you will, of, you know, analytics and um, advanced stats and things of that nature. So I definitely try to, you know, you know, take unique perspectives, you know, kind of try to write on, on ideas that, you know, were, were interesting, were potentially something you hadn't seen before. Um, but, you know, not just do a straw man argument after you have some numbers or some, some stats or obviously from perspective from coaches or players to back it up. Um, when we started, um, you know, being in, being able to be credentialed and being get access to the game. So you have to be able to ask, um, the players about it, but it's, it's always a process and it's something that's still, I still work hard on to this day. Um, I still try to have a bunch of people, you know, read my stuff. I really value all the, the editing I get from at places like Bleacher Report with um, Chris Trenchard or um, Gary Zanet and uh, Chris Greenberg at Boston.com, all great editors um, that I really value what they give me, but it's definitely something that you always have to, you can't be really satisfied with what you are doing. And I think another big thing is also just continuously working on it. You know, if you're just starting as a writer, you know, you got to get into a habit of doing stuff, maybe not every day, but every other day, even if it's just a few hundred words, just to kind of get into a group, get on that front, just to get ideas flowing, just so you can constantly work at your craft. Because even for something like that, if I take a couple weeks off, um, like around now in August, it, it takes me a little while to get back into it, I feel like, as a writer, because, you know, that's, you just have to kind of shake off the mental rust, if you will, on that front. And that's something I feel like that, you know, doesn't necessarily go away with time. So just working on your craft on that front, I feel, is a, a really important thing. Yeah, that really echoes something Jeff Clark said, you know, and he even, he even said, I'm, I'm not necessarily the greatest writer. And he said, hey, listen, yeah, you might have been able to, to write that better than I did, but can you do it over and over and over? Can you do it for 10 years? Can you stick with it and continue to hone your craft? And I think that's exactly, you're, you're echoing those statements as well as you just have to keep practicing and you have to show, you have to make the commitment to doing it, and we always can get better. No, nobody ever reaches this like height of perfection, and then they're done. There's always, I'm sure, even Zach Lowe with a master's in journalism would still say he could improve in certain areas, and there's things that he would like to do better. Um, and I think, I think anybody who's interested in growing knows that they have to apply some sort. They have to apply their craft in some sort of consistent and regimented sort of way, and just keep attacking it. Um, you mentioned the numbers and attacking it from the numbers, and I feel like written articles especially have grown in that capacity. And we've seen a lot of people make the leap from sort of you know their own independent or media coverage into the front offices, obviously John Hollinger being a big one of those. But the numbers are interesting. We have a, a spoof kind of Celtics show here on the CLNS radio network called Scorching Shamrocks, which is hilarious. And there is uh, Sullivan James Sullivan is the host. And he says, he says, you know, uh, Scorching Shamrocks where the takes are hot, but the Neds are not, which is just hilarious to me because, you know, it is, it is meant to be a humorous podcast. But really, the coverage of NBA basketball has gotten a little bit, I mean, for lack of a better word, but it's gotten a little more nerdy than maybe what sports has been in the past. The last decade, even maybe even 15 years, it's become a very cerebral type of analysis. And I wanted to get your take on how do you sort through the stats and, and say, okay, this, this stat is maybe applicable, but this one isn't, because I saw a really interesting statistic from one of our previous hosts, Danny LaRue. He threw it out on Twitter, and I retweeted it, and so my take on the statistic was different than his. I I, I looked at it from a glass half full, which was that Marcus Smart, I, I, Mike, I'm convinced he's poised for a breakout year, but the statistic was that he shot basically horrendous with less than two seconds with the ball, but when he shot from beyond the arc with more than two seconds possession, you know, his percentages were up, but the sample size was smaller. So I said, well, hey, this is a, 
this statistic really supports that, you know, Marcus could have a breakout year. My thought being Marcus is going to get better at, you know, taking the right shots. His, his shot selection should improve and his flow within the offense should improve as he gains more experience. Whereas Danny's take was, well, the sample size is much larger, so maybe it's more foreboding. How do you look at the stats and structure an argument that way? And, and do you feel like there is a different approach to statistics in the written word and writing work versus maybe what 98.5 The Sports Hub is trying to do in generating discussion and getting callers to call into shows? Oh, yeah. Um, totally different audiences on the radio front compared to what the, you know, the, the Celtics Twitter sphere or the NBA Twitter sphere um, when you're going at you those audiences. But, yeah, as far as what I try to do, I mean, a lot of times it's just, um, kind of having an idea of something I think I'm seeing being, you know, whether it's like, oh man, you know, Smart is really struggling shooting the ball lately, or hey, um, Isaiah Thomas is getting to the free throw line a ton, you know, things like that that my eyes believe are seeing, and then kind of going back and digging into the numbers to see if that's confirmed, and like looking at. And though there's some, you know, obviously some simple stats that anyone can do with, with percentages or attempts, et cetera. But, um, you know, I'll even look at, you know, just rebounding, you know, the the four factors, um, offensive and defensive rating, things like that, that kind of, you know, go beneath the surface a little bit, um, but also kind of contain a lot of interesting information there that might not, you know, the casual fan might not be as aware of. So um, that's a lot of my strategies in terms of using that stuff. Um, and I'll just try to take notes during game on it. Obviously sometimes just tweet stuff out and you obviously, as you mentioned um, that, that smart, uh, you know, tweet that LaRusse and I think that's a great example of how, you, you know, different numbers can be viewed, be viewed in different ways and both sides can be right about it. Um, and so you got to kind of be careful about that, especially when you're dealing with sample size and things like that. But when it comes to, you know, talking on, you know, guys, you know, on the sports about it, then you have to, you know, you, you, you can't necessarily do that much of a deep dive, but you still have to, you know, I still try to use, you know, numbers in some of my arguments there um, just to, you know, because numbers don't lie and essentially they can really back up, a case you're having. And so, I mean, something like that, if you go look back at, you know, game three of the first round this past year and the Celtics are down 2-0 and things are looking rough for them. And I'm just looking at the numbers and looking at how everyone's been playing. And it's, I've made, tried to make the argument that, Hey, you know, Jonas Jerevko needs to be starting just based on his numbers and looking at how bad Jared Solinger has been against the Hawks all year long. And, so sometimes it works out where you present that argument and things, you know, the, the team actually follows suit to make you look good. But, you know, just many times you'll, you know, tweet out a Marcus Smart is really struggling stat and then he'll, you know, make four or five threes in a row and kind of shut you up immediately. So it can go to both sides <laughs> of the coin, but it's, it's something where, you know, you have to, the more, you know, evidence you have and the more, the deeper sample size you have, the more, the you know, more, the more of the legs you have to stand on on that front, I feel like. Yeah, numbers don't lie, but they are up for interpretation, which is exactly. why. And you really said something that illuminated that that I want to go back to. But you said you watch the game and you you see what you see, and then you go back to the numbers to see if your hunch visually is playing out statistically. But I do think that we're and this is my opinion, but I want to see if you agree, but I think when I, when the eyes, what you know about the game and what you see is the precursor to the statistical analysis, then it tends to be more valid because you're saying, okay, this is my perspective and here's how the statistics support what I see, versus somebody who dives into the statistics and then sort of follows with their eyes and starts to see something that they you know, are trying, you know, I guess what I'm saying is if you're taking the statistics and you're 
watching the games to try to see if you can support what you saw statistically, isn't that putting the cart before the horse that really some of this game is very much up to interpretation, even though there's statistics there, uh, a lot of what happens in the flow of the game, you have to sort of see it and then you take the statistics and apply it to your observation. You can't really work it the other way. Correct? Yeah. No question about that, Justin. I think that's a great point by you in terms of what, why, Diving into the numbers um, can be dangerous without, you know, actually seeing the game because for whatever reason, you know, someone, yeah, say someone like, you know, Evan Turner was 0-3 from three-point range and is all of his last 15 from downtown. And you're like, oh, man, he's really, you know, he's struggling. He's not a good shooter at all. And then if you watch the game, you would realize that, one of those three-pointers was a full-court end-of-the-quarter shot, and another one was just a bailout three where someone passed it to him with, like, one second left on the shot clock. And so, but again, if you're just looking at the box score, you won't know that. And so that's where you can kind of, you know, create arguments that don't make, don't hold up when you look at the game because there needs to be more information involved to to kind of back up whatever hypothesis you have on a player or a, a team or whatever you might be thinking. So for that reason, you know, it's definitely, you gotta, you might sometimes, you know, have an idea about something where you look at the numbers and like, Oh, you know, that's, that's interesting, but you definitely have to go back and, and watch it in action before you come to any kind of, you know, conclusion on your argument. I feel like, because, that's where, if you don't, that's where you can get into trouble where, you know, the actual, you know, there are certain things that aren't going to show up in the stat. And that's something that's never going to change. And that's why watching a game for, you know, that's why old school scouts in the NBA that don't rely on numbers, they'll always be needed, I feel like, because there's so much of it that you can't really, you know, get out of it, that you're not going to get in the box score ever. Yeah, I feel like you can have a preconceived notion from the numbers and then you see something because you want to see it or you think it's there because of your hunch statistically and that can sometimes mislead you. I mean, our this happens all the time. It's like the placebo effect, right? If you're expecting the medication to do something for you, then sometimes it does, even if it's a sugar pill. That's what those studies are all about. And that's right. where I think the danger is with statistics is there could be this placebo effect of, well, this is what I think the numbers is telling me. So then when you watch the game, you're, you're led to see it, even if it's not true. Exactly. And so that's something as a writer, I always try to be careful of. And you know, I think you'll see, you know, some of the, you know, the greatest, the best NBA writers, whether it's, you know, someone like Zach Lowe or Paul Family or whoever, uh, Chris Forsberg, um, they're always very careful with when they're making any kind of arguments or presenting any kind of scenarios to make sure it is, you know, you know, fair and balanced and they have if they're gonna make some kind of a case somewhere they can make sure that they have the the right info to back it up. Well, I think that's what makes it so much fun is because we we have this cerebral fan base who loves to look at the numbers, and I think it creates such a more in-depth and engaging dialogue in watching the game, but the game is still so subjective that it doesn't solve all arguments. There's still so much room for debate, and there's room for opinion, and, and it's really a nice growth of the way that people are experiencing the sport, in my opinion. Absolutely. It's, and, you know, fans are getting smarter, which is great. You know, I feel like, you know, Celtics fans and NBA fans are some of the most knowledgeable fans out there and things like social media are making them, you know, just the information out there is so plain that anyone can kind of do their own research and confirm a hunch they're having. And I think that just makes, that just, you know, raises the level of, uh, you know, discourse out there. And I think that's, that's awesome for anyone who's um, involved in any of these sports. We're speaking with Brian Robb of CelticsHub.com and 98.5 The Sports Hub, as well as various other outlets that he contributes to. We're going to come right back with Brian after a quick word from Audible.com. 
All right, Brian, this has been excellent. We're going to maybe wrap this up. i got a couple of things that I still want to hit before we go or before we get you on out of here. But social media, you talked about that. And I'm not going to dive into the Terry Rozier Snapchat from this week, except to say that I think a lot of times young professionals can make some mistakes in terms of sharing too much information on social media and how that can impact their career. And I think it's also still very new technology. And it seems like so much of our lives gets documented that didn't used to be documented. And it's permanent. A lot of times, maybe in your communities, you did something, you know, as you were growing up, and everybody makes mistakes, even if you're not a young person. I, hey, I'm over 40, and I still make mistakes all the time, but it seems like it becomes part of a more permanent record. And so the danger of that with Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat, et cetera, seems to be a little bit more impactful. So on a very grand scale, I wondered, since you brought up social media, if that you had any insight or thoughts into that for somebody who's maybe new and trying to gain attention, you can really sort of mortgage your credibility for some negative attention early on. And how does uh, negative attention in the media that has also shown to work very positively, not only for presidential candidates, but, you know, music stars, et cetera, how does that how do how does somebody who's young and, and experiencing that how do they how do they navigate that do they kind of decide what their personality is going to be and how they're going to approach it yeah it's that's definitely the case i feel like um you know whether with so many different platforms now there's so many different ways to you know get involved and you kind of have to choose what you want to be known for um, when you're on any of these things. So whether it's Twitter, whether it's, you know, Snapchat, Facebook, et cetera, um, it is kind of what you want to do and you kind of have to, you know, work it with anything else you're doing. So I think in order to kind of maximize, if you're looking for exposure and things like that, then on your social media channels, I think your best bet is to like try to start, you know, contributing at places and places that where they will kind of showcase what you can do and showcase, you know, uh, your social media accounts along with it, whether that's on Twitter or whether that's on Facebook or wherever else you want to share your articles. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, for, you know, any other things like Instagram, there's like Vine that has, you know, things like that. I think videos is obviously a great way to bring some attention to your accounts if you're just trying to, um, you know, break in on the scene because that's something that you can do instantaneous. And if you, uh, you, you find the right player, the right moment, then that's the stuff that can go viral very quickly. Um, so I feel like oh, some, some people on social media kind of made their career, made their following based on kind of having that kind of an angle. But even, you know, it, it, that's hard to do, obviously, because you got to you know, be on top of stuff like that as it breaks. But, um, yeah, that's, that's one thing that comes to mind. And I know that's something that I've tried to kind of utilize, um, more recently as videos kind of taken off on the online stream. And just in terms of even in summer league out in Utah, Vegas, you know, I was getting, I was getting some kind of, you know, getting some fun crap from the other reporters out there about, you know, taking video from court side of the games, but, I felt like, hey, these are summer league games, first of all, so I'm not like I'm missing much. And B, it's kind of giving fans a cool vantage point of, you know, what, you know, from these guys and how quick they're on the floor and or picking up some James Young trash talk or whatever else. So I feel like just trying to utilize these, you know, the social media in these new various ways that, and I feel like it's ever evolving. I feel like stuff like that, that's a good way to try to, um, you know, stick out from the pack, if you will. Yeah, I think the willingness to try new things, even if you do get a little grief, is a good thing. I mean, it's not like you weren't mortgaging credibility by doing that. Like you said, summer league games, but it did provide a very interesting perspective. And, you know, I want to see more of that. I thought that was that was excellent. And I thought 
fans want to have a fan experience, but they can't go to every game. And a lot of, I mean, going out to Vegas or going out to Utah, a lot of people aren't going to make that trip to be able to go watch the summer league games. And if they watch them on, you know, League Pass or NBA.com, they can get an idea of the flow of the game, but they don't get necessarily the fan experience, the in-person fan experience. And summer league, I think, is also a really great place for media to network. So I commend you for, for trying something new. And even when I talk about mortgaging your credibility, I think of somebody like Ryan Lochte, if we're going to go with a current event, it, a, a, bunch of, a bunch of sponsors drop him. But then he's right in line to go on a reality show. And so he's going to recoup the income. It's just, what is Ryan Lochte's personality? Now he's reinvented himself in this, in this reality TV world. Whereas I would say your career, you talked about getting credentials in 09, 010. You're, you're maintaining, and I guess you, know, you can take the word credibility and credentials and know that it's basically synonymous what are your goals for your career? What are you trying to do? Because the one thing I do know is you can all you can always, you know, maybe have a slower development of your career, but you're gonna if you maintain your credibility, you're gonna have the opportunity to do a lot more professional things. But I think once you mortgage against that, the ability to rebound and, and gain that credibility back or reinvent yourself can be really, really difficult. And um, I, I want to say that I think, you know, you've developed your career in a very professional way, and I, and I want to commend you for doing that. But not losing sight of trying new things like the example you gave from Summer League. Um, all right, a couple of things that I want to wrap with. Uh, first off is, well, two things. One, I want to see if you have any funny stories, you know, just from, from uh, covering the team and, and your coverage of the NBA in general, different things that you've done that you might want to share with the listeners, something humorous. And I also kind of want to get a little bit, a little bit of an idea, you know, what does Brian Rob do with his free time? You know, what are your other passions and interests and how do they cross over or relate to your coverage of, of the Celtics? So let's start with the funny stories. Do you have a, a funny story that you might be willing to share with, with the listeners? Uh, sure. Yeah. I think one, uh, this is, I think a fun welcome to the NBA moment, uh, for myself, uh, was during the, uh, 2010, uh, playoff run, um, for the Celtics. And I was, uh, you know, it was myself and Zach Lowe and, uh, Brennan Jackson contributing at Celtics at the time. And when, uh, there's one article that, uh, Zach had written that I kind of taken off and the commenters who had a lot of fun with it was, was called Tony Allen do's and don'ts. And it was kind of just, you know, playing off the fact that, you know, Tony Allen would make great, you know, great defensive play and, you know, make an awesome steal and then kind of ruin it by blowing the layup or taking a three pointer. So it was a kind of a, a fun <laughs> tongue in cheek type article that, uh, I feel like know. Jalen Brown is going to wind up getting a little bit of oh, this oh, year. Oh, <laughs> and I love Jalen Brown. I'm his biggest. Right. Trust me, I'm his biggest supporter. But I could just see that coming. <laughs> but anyway, go on. Sorry. So yeah, so that was you know it was a it was a fun piece and it was written you know sometime you know during the 2009-2010 season. And so um, I'm in the locker room um, talking with uh, another guy, Richard Lane, before the game. Um, we're just, you know, in a, a locker room in the pregame uh, during the playoffs is usually pretty quiet because most players don't really like to talk to the media at that point. Um, so they're just kind of hanging there. And it's only a few players in there and just a bunch of media, you know, standing around yucking it up. And so kind of out of nowhere, um, I'm staying in a corner and, um, and Tony Allen has his headphones on and then kind of just grabs his my credential, which I have around my neck and kind of, pulls it up to his face and then puts it back down and then just ignores me. And I'm like, huh, like that's, that's weird. Like, like Tony, what's, uh, what's up, man? And he's like, yeah, uh, you write for Celtics Hub, huh? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, uh, Zach Lowe here. I'm like, uh, <laughs> and no, <laughs> Zach was living in New York at this time. And, um, so he obviously wasn't there, and it's like, huh, well, tell him, tell him to come on by whenever he's here. And I'm like, if you don't know Tony Allen, you know, at this point, a pretty strong track record of, you know, 
kind of being hostile pile of the media. I believe uh, a couple of years earlier, he had, had gotten into a, a shouting match with Mark Spears in the locker I was just going to reference that. Um, yes, I remember that. Back in, after, you know, Spears wrote a, you know, a rightly critical article about Allen. Um, and so that was my first, you know, time where I was like, whoa, um, you know, you think you're, you're writing stuff and you're having fun with it and um, you're just trying to entertain readers. So that was the first time where I But you might get realized, me hurt. <laughs> you might, exactly. You might, you, gotta, you know, you got to be like, hey, listen, there's a chances that, you know, the team or players or anyone is reading this stuff. And that's the, that was a, that was a welcome to the realization that moment that, Hey, you know, not that you're, you're not going to write stuff that's unfair or whatever anyway, but you gotta be, and, and Jack's article was great and there was nothing, you know, you know, it was a fun article. It definitely wasn't mean, uh, man, it wasn't taking, you know, mean shots at Tony or anything, but clearly someone had passed this law to him and maybe said that, Hey, someone, they're taking shots at you here. And you you just gotta you gotta be aware of it. And I mean, it, it was kind of cool. I was like, wow, you know, Tony's reading Celtic stuff. That's great. And, but also being like, I don't want Tony to you know throw a punch at me or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That that awareness of the big picture is something that I think people in the in early in their career have a hard time doing, just because the big picture comes from experience. And exactly. so anything, anything you can do to sort of expand that viewpoint, I think a lot of that comes from having good mentorship and having a strong network. You can foster that earlier in your career, but you have to be open-minded. You have to be willing to take criticism in a positive way. And you have to uh, be ready to, you know, face, you know, the truth of how, what you write or what you say impa- impacts your brand, your personal brand. That is a great story because I, I thought of as soon as you started telling the story and you dropped Tony Allen, my first thought was that Mark Spears sort of, I don't want to call it an altercation because it wasn't an altercation, but it was definitely a, a heated conversation, I think is probably the most tempered way to put it. Um, and, and Tony was note, you know, noted to, uh, you know, he was early in his career too. Let's put it that way, and he's also oh, yeah. grown substantially. And to follow I mean, up on that, Zach and Tony, I believe, are like they're friendly now. They're like they're they've you know Tony. I'm pretty sure has been on his podcast, and they'll they'll go back and forth on Twitter and stuff like that. So clearly, there's no bad blood there, um, long term. But um, yeah, that's again. I think that you mentioned as Tony's career kind of matured. I think uh, he kind of did uh, emotionally on that front. Yeah. All right. So last question, and this one's just kind of, you know, get to know Brian Robb a little bit, but what do you do, you know, for fun away from sports and, and do you have time to do anything for fun away from sports? Um, I do. I mean, I'm kind of a sports nut as is. So, um, I like to play sports for fun with my buddies, like, you know, playing a couple rec basketball leagues. Um, I'm obviously working around the clock with sports stuff and 95 sports up helping produce shows, you know, not just on NBA stuff, but obviously past Red Sox Bruins. Um, I have a, my girlfriend and I just got a, a puppy. So we've, that's been consuming a lot of uh, oh, my here in the last year uh, for better or worse, but that's been, uh, you know, definitely really good at uh, early morning walks and, Man, you, you want know, to talk about women on tricks and stuff like that? One thing having a girlfriend, it's a whole other thing having a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely fun time. So, yeah, Yogi, Yogi's right here right now. He's been good to all interview, not barking or anything. So, way to go, buddy. Um, but, yeah, no, I just, I definitely, um, you know, I'm a lifelong uh, Bostonian. So, definitely like to go out in the town of friends, you know, Cambridge. Boston downtown. I've um, enjoyed going up to the beach on the North Shore and stuff like that. And um, definitely do. I'm a, a big fantasy baseball player as well, so I'm right in the, the heart of the playoff race for a bunch of uh, my leagues there too. So, but my life can't really get away from sports most of the time. But um, definitely enjoy life as it is and enjoy 
a little bit of the NBA offseason that we get now where things kind of quiet down. All right, Brian Robb, everybody, from Celtics Hub and 98.5 The Sports. Uh, Brian, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thanks for having me, Justin. It was a blast. Follow him on Twitter at Celtics Hub. Really has provided some excellent content and added a lot, I think, to this interview series. It's interesting because we keep finding different perspectives or maybe we're able able to delve into topics that we didn't get into with one of the previous guests. But I really enjoyed Brian today, especially because he's got a little bit of a different perspective in the way that he approached his career collaborating with Zach Lowe and then also having two completely different uh audiences and styles with writing on Celtics Hub versus producing and conducting interviews with 98.5, the sports hub as the Celtics insider. But Brian also talked a little bit about Summer League, and I think it is important. And one of the grand themes that has come out in a lot of this interview series has been specifically that you have to be willing to take risks, but you have to take calculated risks. And how do you develop your brand? What do you want your brand to be about? If you're going to be covering the team or you're aspiring to become a member of the media or maybe you just want to have fun, you have to remember what is what is your desired goal and what do you want to be. If you want to have credentialed access, then you have to take a safer uh, path maybe to covering the sport, which might take more patience and more time. At the same time, if you want to have more of an entertainment perspective, then maybe you can write an article that criticizes Tony Allen to an extent, and maybe there's a little bit less risk. I thought that was a hilarious story about Zach Lowe's article, and then Brian sort of having to go face-to-face with Tony in the locker room. I can tell you from my days covering the team, Tony Allen was 100% a character in that locker room, many times just very, very, uh, very fun. He had a good sense of humor, but I I do know that uh, there was some maturing that he had to do, and I think there's always anybody who is growing in their profession, starting at a young age, there's a lot of growth that goes through that process. The other thing that was a big takeaway for me in this interview was talking about the numbers and how statistics has really changed the game, or, or at least the dialogue and the fan experience to some extent, especially making sure that you're not letting the numbers lead your assessment, but letting your eyes lead the assessment and the numbers sort of be supporting your argument or your perspective as far as what you see on the court. And I think it's always going to be a delicate balance. I think some people are going to just take the numbers and they're going to look at that and, and, and make a case or make an argument. But I'm not always sure that it does translate 100%. So maybe at some point we'll try to get a scout on one of these interviews and, and dive into that a little bit and, and talk about the numbers. I, I have read or I am reading a book on statistical analysis and specifically some of the new information that came out as players are actually being tracked almost like with a GPS device, although that's not how it's done, but their movements on the court where they can calculate how many miles a player ran in an entire year. And actually, when that information was tweeted out by Celtics.com, I thought, this is kind of useless information. I, I didn't really see the the application of it, but in reading the book that I'm reading now, I can kind of see the impact of it in a new light. And so maybe as a season gets underway, uh, we'll have the author of that book. I don't have it right in front of me, um, uh, but the writer's last name is Shay, and I think we're going to to bring him on and maybe dive into that topic a little bit because I think statistical analysis is something that we have to get into, but it's something I definitely want John Duke, Mike Ho-Host, to be a part of as well. So big thanks again to Brian Robb for being, I believe, our fifth. Is that our fifth show already in this offseason interview series? Our fifth guest, and we're going to have Jared Weiss, as a reminder, joining us for Monday's broadcast that will come out first thing. Brian Robb can be found at CelticsHub.com as well as online or on the air in the Boston market 
on 98.5, the Sports Hub. Also frequent contributor to Boston.com, Bleacher Report, Sports Illustrated. The list goes on and on. ESPN as well really has done an awesome job. I do love his coverage of Summer League. So don't forget to follow him on Twitter at Celtics Hub. We're going to be back in just a few days. Again, as I mentioned, with Jared Weiss from right here on CLNSRadio.com as well as Celtics Blog and get into more of this off-season interview series. Very excited for that. Stay tuned on Monday. We're going to wrap the show, but just a reminder, this broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Radio mobile app as well as clnsradio.com. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at CSL underscore Justin. That's my handle. And co-host John Duke is at CSL underscore Duke, as well as the entire show Twitter, at CSL underscore Tweet Live. Big thanks to everybody for tuning in, and you can help support this show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. We'd love to get a rating and a review from you because your feedback is very important. And today's show brought to you by Audible and Fan Essentials, two great sponsors that have great deals for all of you listeners, but most importantly, you would be supporting the show and the entire CLNS radio network and want to thank the loyal CLNS Radio audience who makes it all worthwhile for all the great shows on the CLNS Radio Network. For my for staff writer Eddie Santiago, program director Larry H. Russell, and the founder of CLNS Radio, Nick Gelso, and my co-host, John Duke, I'm Justin Poulin. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.